Welcome to Beyond the Pen, the podcast that delves into the untold stories of emerging authors and the literary world. I'm your host, Maccabee Griffin, and each week I'll be shining a spotlight on talented yet undiscovered authors, giving them a platform to share their incredible stories and unique journeys that brought them to the world of writing. In each episode, we'll deep dive into the story behind the story, exploring the inspirations, challenges, and triumphs that have shaped our guests' literary careers, and have some fun along the way. From the initial spark of an idea to the journey of crafting and publishing their books, we'll uncover the secrets that make their stories truly special. But that's not all. Once a month, we'll be joined by an expert from the publishing world who will share invaluable insights and advice for aspiring writers, answering your burning questions, and demystifying the path to success in the literary industry. At Beyond the Pen, my mission is simple, to entertain, educate, and encourage the next generation of great storytellers. So whether you're a writer, an avid reader, or simply someone with a passion for storytelling, Join us as we venture beyond the pen and celebrate the power of the written word. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We are live. We are here and <laughs> we are in space. If you can't tell the height, the we're working on that galactic uh, diplomatic immunity with uh, Chelsea now. So, um integrating myself into space uh, into realistic space not just the fantasy one right i mean i don't know because it's kind of creepy but there is this space thing in tampa you can go and pretend so maybe i'll schedule something i'll check it out let everybody know if if i'm willing to be a galactic diplomat get you inspired get me inspired do i feel like floating like they have fake gravity i'm assuming or do they even know what gravity is? see all these questions max see it's just well i don't want to float everywhere well that's why we got i'm too clumsy with gravity i would just be like spinning oh that's yeah now i i hope you now here's the question if there's no gravity involved does do you still get nauseous i mean have you ever seen archer no Okay, everybody go to Hulu, watch Archer, funniest thing in the world. So there is an episode where they actually have to go to space. So they're doing the little trip thing. And so like they take it up so far and then they like level out and drop you down. And it's like, there's no gravity and everybody got sick. And I'm just like, uh, oh, I don't like, I'm good on roller coasters. I don't typically throw up, but it's because I physically will myself because throwing up is the worst feeling in the world. But like, we'll find out. I'm gonna sign up for the for the little thing. Okay. See if I can get Dean to go with me. Oh, good luck with that. I'll let everybody know if I am willing to take on the duty of being a galactic diplomat. Oh yeah, that's what we need. Two crazy women in in space right now. Uh, and I'll film it. We'll film okay. it. That's what we'll do. We can show everybody the whole experience. Film it. I definitely want to see that. I will put that up as well. I will share the heck out of that. So, yes. how about this? How about until that point? <laughs> Why don't we talk to an actual space cowboy? How about that? Yeah, well, that's a song. It's a song too. Yeah, he probably he probably plays that. It is. It's Kid Rock. Yeah, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know that. Now, <laughs> you know, but let's let's talk to someone who actually has that nickname, has that title, because 
hailing from the enchanting Joshua Tree, California. He dwells amidst the mystical desert landscapes that have inspired countless tales of adventure and wonder. Uh, he is a co-owner of the Space Cowboy Books, a captivating haven that celebrates the realms of science fiction. Within its walls, bookshelves teem with interstellar adventures, while the air hums with anticipation of uncharted galaxies waiting to be explored. But that's not all. Jean-Paul's creative spirit extends beyond the bookstore's confines, because he also is an independent publisher, fearlessly bringing imaginative stories to life and nurturing the voices of aspiring authors. Moreover, Jean-Paul immerses us in the cosmic realm through his captivating Simultaneous Times podcast, where he unravels tales that transcend the boundaries of space and time. So, Ladies and gentlemen, I want to bring on our guest, the space cowboy himself, Mr. Jean-Paul Garnier. Garnier. I lost it. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. So, Jean-Paul, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself, but most importantly, something that you're willing to give up that people can't find out about you. Okay, well, I'm living my dream because as a, as a five-year-old, I used to build spaceships out of cardboard and, you know, pretend that I was an astronaut and whatnot going on adventures or that it was a time machine. And um, people might not know this about me, but I haven't changed at all. I'm still flying around in my cardboard spaceship. Um, I'm living my five-year-old dream, being a fake astronaut and time traveler um, and loving every second of it. I mean, that seems pretty solid. It does. It really does. Now, I want to know about the stairs you get flying around in said spaceship. Well, Is this in the confines of our living room, or have we taken it further? It's the spaceship of the mind at this point. Um, and, yeah, people yeah. might think it's a little low-tech, but, uh, you know, um, it is. And oh, that's yeah. okay, you know, the... Uh, the imagination is the is the best machine in the world, and it can take you anywhere. And here, you know, I thought he was actually going to have, you know, the his whole car just the wrapped in the cardboard spaceship. That's what I was I thinking. Maybe like you, you double reinforce it with duct tape, make it like your reading area, your writing area. Put a bike underneath this, so you can like troll outside and stuff. That'd be so much fun. I'd do it. You have done it. Only once. <laughs> Yeah, it still counts. Sorry, it still counts. Anyways, so Jean, please tell us about the bookstore. Tell us what, everything about it and where people can find it so that we can get into this whole thing about sci-fi versus fantasy versus everything else in between. Well, so the bookstore is located in Joshua Tree, California, which is a teeny little town. It's about three blocks long, and we're on the east block, um, so easy enough to find. 
uh, of course, we're all over online, but, you know, I love talking to people. Um, and that's the best thing about the physical location is, you know, people come in and we talk books. Um, so it's a very enjoyable vocation in that way. Um, as you mentioned, we specialize in science fiction. Over half the store is science fiction. I've uh, got a little bit of everything for everybody, though, um, for people that aren't science fiction fans. But one of the great delights in the store is when someone comes in and says, I don't like science fiction and they leave with a science fiction book and their mind is about to change because um, there's a lot of misconceptions about science fiction. Um, you know, a lot of people still think of it as a subliterate genre. Um, you know, horror and fantasy get clumped into this to all the speculative fictions. Um, that impression definitely comes from 1950s movies and, and not from the books. I, I find that when people have that idea, they actually haven't read any science fiction. Or, you know, maybe they read a couple comic books as a kid and that's where it ended. Um, so it's great fun to connect people with the right book and be like, hey, you know, these are actually really great writers to ignite your imagination. And a lot of them have beautiful prose and the stereotypes that you're thinking of are going to fall apart pretty quickly as you read this book. Um, so the the shop we, we rented uh, back in December of 2015 and opened up in January of 2016. Uh, people used to come in and laugh and say, oh, my God, this is a joke. You're not going to last. You know, that was almost eight years ago. So um, it's been it's been going well, um, pretty immediately connected with the local writing community, started hosting events, publishing chat books. Now we've moved into paperbacks and hardbacks. We just did our first hardback publication and then started the podcast uh, little over five years ago um, because I'd always had a love for for radio drama and the radio arts. Uh, that was kind of my first introduction to science fiction as a kid. And um, I always wanted to do that. I had a background in audio engineering, so it was kind of a simple fit of what to do next. Uh, started with locals because you always got to start local and started producing stories, got local composers to come in and do music for them and bring these things to life. And we've been doing an episode every month since then. Um, which is a lot of fun to interpret different writers' stories. And now we've published um, on the podcast, we've had writers from all over the world. Um, one of our recent episodes had a writer from Sri Lanka. We've had writers from Brazil, Mexico, Israel, Germany. So um, it's really become an international thing, which is very exciting as the central hub is in this little place in small town America. Um, but it's, it's grown to something much, much bigger than that. That's awesome. I mean, that's got to be something that the, the that the local town is super proud of as well. Especially since you said it was so small, having something like that that creates it creates such a sensation. Especially with doing the events for local authors and things. Do you have people from other towns coming over and being like, "Hey, I want to do something here, really like this place," or do you find it's just the locals? It's definitely both. Um, we're right next to a national park, about five miles away from Joshua Tree National Park. So we get a lot of visitors from all over the world. So on any given day, I mean, it's interesting. I, I also work as an editor, but on any given day before I get to the store, I've interacted with people from eight different countries just reading submissions in the slush pile. And then I get to work and I deal with people from a dozen more countries. So um, even though I'm in small town, fairly rural America, you know, type of place that has a feed store, um, I'm I'm dealing with international people all the time. So in our events, we've hosted, um, you know, we've hosted hundreds of events at the store and uh, a lot of online events, too. Um, you know, and the pandemic pushed us all to do that. And now we're doing both. Um, so it's local authors. It's out of town authors. 
I've taken advantage of, of the internet to bring on authors from all over the world that otherwise wouldn't be able to come here. Um, and that's, that's been really exciting. So yeah, it's, um, you know, always start local, support your local community, and then branch out into your broader communities. And for me, that's the science fiction community. And fantasy, too. I mean, we, we're two sides of the same coin, though. Um, you know, and the, the store does stock fantasy, but I'm not as well read so um, in fantasy as I am in science fiction. So that's definitely the major focus. But um, the genres, you know, are, are often clumped together under speculative fiction. And a big reason for this is not necessarily their content, but it's coming from the same writers. Um, a lot of writers that write fantasy or science fiction write both or write horror as well and, and even literary fiction. So it can get a little confusing where to stock certain authors in the store, where, where they belong on the shelves. Um, but most writers are pretty multifaceted and, and do a little bit of everything, which I think is really cool. What do you think is the biggest misinterpretation about sci-fi? Because I know that you had said that a lot of the genre is clumped into that 1950s movie. So what do you think is the biggest misconception about sci-fi? I, I think the biggest misconception that it's just pew pew um, space adventure for kids. And there's certainly <laughs> a lot of stuff like that. And some of it's really great. Um but it is a much more adult genre than than people expect in the themes that it takes on, uh, which are vast and wide. You know, there um, you can have a narrow definition of science fiction. I tend to take a fairly broad one. Um, I like there was an editor named Damon Knight, and I like his his attitude about it. He said science fiction is what we point to when we say science fiction. Um, there's a lot of writers that I think people read and don't even realize they're reading science fiction because it's not all spaceships and princesses and stuff like this. It can also take on psychology, sociology, um, different areas of science that, that move at different paces and age at different rates. You know, science can be a very fast moving field. So if you're writing hard science fiction with a lot of current science integrated into it, uh, that science is going to change. It, it's a field that's constantly in flux, um, similar to the way literature is constantly in flux. Um, but when you take on the more human sciences, you know, psychology and, and sociology, these things don't move quite as fast. And I find that those books um, age very well. But for instance, you know, a reader might be reading J.G. Ballard, um, you know, a book like Crash, where it fetishizes car crashes and, you know, a very extreme literature and not realize that they're that they're reading science fiction. But it's dystopian. It's about urban decay and handles a lot of the tropes that science fiction is, is particularly good at dealing with. Well, you know, so it's fun. It's fun to, to introduce people in, or reintroduce people into things. Hey, this is actually science fiction, even though you didn't think so when you were reading it. Yeah, I think a lot of the things that, like what what you were saying when it comes to things that actually age well, comparative to, you know, many of the things that don't. Uh, for me, when I, I think of aging well, Spaceballs is always a good one. I know it's a movie, but it's still science fiction and it still ages well. Um, again, it, it's... Because here's here's my thinking on, on that, because, again, storytelling is storytelling, no matter what the medium is. And when it comes to Spaceballs, I was looking at stuff like there's so much dystopia, even though it's a great comedy. It, it hits on so many different things, like you were saying, if you really think about it, think about how dark Spaceballs actually is if you look at the world that it's in. 
I mean, that's what we were talking about last week when we were saying, or, you know, we were talking about the multi-genres. There is not a single author that just writes one genre because you have some type of adventure, you have some mystery, you have, you know, everything kind of goes in. And I think that's what makes it good. And I think a lot of times with science fiction with, or at least the ones that I have experienced is when you have that little bit of nowadays things where it's like, you know, before when you had, they would walk around and like they had faces on their phones and it was like, holy crap, that's never going to happen. And now that we have it, it almost immerses you in the story that much more because you're like, okay, like I have this, like this is something that could play out here while still maintaining something that makes it uniquely sci-fi. Look at uh, world, uh, war. I can't say War of the Worlds. That is such an amazing. It's a thick ass book. It's extremely thick, <laughs> but it still ages well because it still looks at everything in a certain way. You know, there's still war. There's still let's take control of another group of people there's still all these little things that are involved with how science looks at things, how people look at science, how people have developed over time and, and inspired other things like the twilight zone. Um, again, a lot of those were based off of comics. Those were based off of sci-fi short stories. And one of the things that you said earlier, I thought was really, uh, interesting was about when you're looking at a lot of these local authors when you're factoring in not only is it just sci-fi it's everything else in there and people were telling you oh this is not going to last eight years later you're still there uh what are some of the factors that you consider when you're deciding which books to stock in your store is it mainly based off of popular demand personal taste or a combination of different factors? The combination of different factors. Um, one of the things that I try to do in the in the curation of the store is it's a fairly small space. Um, so I try not to have any filler, um, only great books. And um, I try to stock mostly books that you're not gonna necessarily find in, in other bookstores. So I don't have a lot of mainstream literature, for instance. I have a lot of classic literature and poetry and things like that. Uh, but I try to work with a lot of indie authors that you're not gonna necessarily find in bookshops. Um, and a lot of vintage science fiction, it's becoming harder to come by, um, you know, which had these great eye candy covers. So a lot of people would come in the store like, oh, you have this organized like a comic book store kind of where, you know, the walls are covered with old paperbacks that just have the coolest, coolest artwork. And I'm like, go ahead and judge by the cover. You know, these are wonderful paintings and great books here. Um, but primarily, one of the main things in the in the stock selection is I try to carry books that I can speak about and be helpful to my customers. Like I don't have a lot of mystery, for instance, and it's nothing against mystery. I'm just not particularly well versed in it. And I want to be able to, if someone has a question about the author or the book, I want to be able to give them an intelligent and helpful answer. Um, so a lot of it is, you know, my taste really. Um, but that being said, I try and make sure I have something for everybody there. Um, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the bookstore is secondhand, um, but I also carry new books. And so a lot of those are authors that have either done an event with me in person or um, an event with me online. Um, so, you know, if someone wants to know more about the author and go, well, hey, here's here's the YouTube channel 
you can hear a couple interviews with them. I've had them on for a flash fiction reading. You can get a, a broader taste of what this up and coming new author is doing. Um, so a lot of the selection is based around that. I'll always do consignment for locals that come in that have written books um, so they can get their books on the shelf. And, um, and, you know, with the secondhand stuff, it's really a matter of what I can find, you know. And so I dig through a lot of garbage looking for the gems. And uh, that's actually quite um, a fun part of the job, you know, just to the treasure hunt. Um, and very excitingly, you know, I learn about new authors and books from customers every day. Um, it, it's a two-way conversation, absolutely. So I'm constantly learning about something new or, you know, I'll have a shared love of an author with one of my customers and they say, hey, but have you read this? And I go, wow, I never heard of that, you know, lay it on me. And I'm always taking notes at the store. So um, my customers are extremely helpful in, in that way, you know, and I, I try to meet their needs as well. So, you know, if there's a special request, I'll, I'll special order of course, um, you know, but it's, it does boil down to a matter of space. How much can I cram in there and, and still make it an enjoyable experience to dig through? So let me ask you this because, uh, you were talking about, um, some of the events that you, you come, you bring, you create, excuse me, to give a place for your local authors to come in and actually present their, their books and everything. What kind of promotional activities or events do you find are most effective in attracting readers and increasing the book sales, as well as how can authors collaborate with bookstores to create a successful promotional campaign? Well, it's um, always a good thing to pair authors together for events. You know, for instance, if I have an out-of-town author that wants to come to a reading, to pair them up with a local um, you know, and hopefully a good pairing or sometimes I'll just pick wildly different books because um, I believe that the audience and readers usually read widely. You know, no one just reads one genre. Everyone has broader taste um, when it comes to genre. I find that it doesn't mean as much to writers and readers. It's more of a, for publishers and marketing, you know, that you have this easy niche to put something in. Um, whereas most people's tastes are, are very wide. Um, and so I, I have a lot of faith in the audience and in, in readers um, that they will be interested in pairing, you know, a nonfiction book and a romance, for instance, or, or whatever. Um, when it comes to, you know, the the events being a success um that's definitely something that needs to happen together you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do a ton of pr i'm gonna put a ton of listings i'm gonna send press releases to the local newspaper and radio station and put out flyers and things like that um if if an event's going to be a great success if the author does that as well and the publisher does that as well between the three of us we'll put on something that's great that that people will come to um if it's just me and the author doesn't say, hey, I have an event or, hey, I've got the book in the bookstore, it's less likely to sell and people are less likely to come. It's it's teamwork um, on the promotion. And so when 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 those three get together, it, it'll be great because, you know, when we work together, things are always better. We have different sets of friends. We have different audiences. And if we can bring those together, um, then it's going to be a great success. I've found for the... Um, Online events, when I do, I do a lot of single author events where I'll read the book, they'll do a little reading, uh, we'll have an interview, um, and those are a lot of fun. But I also host a series called Flash Science Fiction Night, where I'll have three readers, and each story is a thousand words or less, so the event happens in 25, 30 minutes, it's real quick, 
Um, but it's a great way to learn about new authors. And those have been really well attended. I think people really enjoy those because there's not really something else like that with the focus on flash fiction, which is quite popular in genre fiction at the moment. And um, also because the more people in there, the more people promoting and um, the more the word gets spread. So those have been a great success and a lot of fun. And they've been a wonderful thing for me to interact with the authors, go, hey, I like this person's style. Maybe I'll invite them to write for the podcast. Or, hey, that was a really great story. I'd love to produce it. Or, hey, I'm putting together our next anthology for publication. Would you like to be one of the authors in there? So it's a relationship that develops over time. And my hope is whenever we work with authors that, that it is an ongoing relationship, that this isn't going to be a one-off for us. Do you find yourself when you deal with these new authors that are trying to come in? We were discussing um, before you came in about how everything is getting very stagnant. Like it seems like everybody is just like, these are the rules that we have to follow. This is how the story must go. Have you found that you're experiencing that as well? Whereas when you're reading, especially with with the newer authors and things like that, that it's very reminiscent of, of other books that you have read instead of taking on a new personality? Uh, there's certainly some of that. I've, I've been quite impressed with, with a lot of the modern writers, frankly. Um, I'm not seeing a whole lot of experimentation in the writing itself, um, which is something that I'm, I'm really into. Um, I, I try to take chances in, in structure and form. Um, I, I'm not seeing so much of that today, although it's certainly out there. Um, and, you know, genre fiction is filled with its tropes, um, which, you know, you, you'll see used again and again. But I'm seeing them used in, in fresh ways um, where they don't get boring or you won't even realize it reading. Oh, Ed, this is that one trope. Um, so I, I've seen a great wealth of imagination in the, in the field of science fiction. There's so many good writers out there today. It's kind of hard to keep up with, actually. Um a lot of this focuses around the magazine scenes and not necessarily, you know, the big book publishers. I think that's where, um, you know, in genre fiction, you, you kind of get your start in, in short stories or that's usually the pattern, not always. Um, but there, there's a wealth of short fiction out there and new magazines popping up all the time. I feel like there's sort of a, a renaissance going on in science fiction with a lot of small presses developing out of these magazines as well. And some, some, I mean, it's it's a global conversation at this point. So I'm I'm seeing a very wide variety of of concerns and themes that are being taken on, depending on what culture someone's coming from. Um, it's been exciting. The difficult thing is to keep up with it because there's there's so much coming out every every month, and so many books published every year. I mean, that's one of the challenges too. I think both for authors, booksellers, and publishers is that you know there's millions of books published every year where. There was a time in science fiction where if you were a really dedicated reader, you could read almost every novel that came out that year. Those days are long gone. Um, yes. You know, you just you just can't anymore. No. And every you know, uh, I do a, a lot of fantasy and Santa Fe fantasy sci fi and things like that. And I find that even as you know, they have that whole thing where everybody always says you can't write enough to appease the writer, the readers. You can never write enough to keep them going. You know, you spend these weeks, months, years, sometimes some authors that writing this book and, and they finally get it to you and then people devour it in like two, three hours. And then you're getting the messages like, Hey guys, like 
where's the next one? And it's like, are you kidding me? Did you even appreciate it? Like, it's like, you know, when you're super hungry on Thanksgiving and you're waiting and then you just eat it all and you didn't appreciate any of it. Like as an author, that's kind of how I feel like the readers are as much as I love them. I'm just like, guys, take it slow. Like, do you know how much effort it goes into these things? But then you also have where I, you know, again, we were talking about it where I feel like there's like this mini silent war going on between um, authors and, and bookstores, because, you know, small bookstores are trying to compete with the big bookstores, which are trying to dominate the little ones. And then you have the authors that aren't from one of the big five. They're from, you know, the mid to small, or even sometimes self-published that are trying to get into these, these bookstores. And there's kind of become this stigma, especially in the author community where like, it's a, everybody just resigns themselves. You're never getting in. You're, you're not going to be at a bookstore to get a signing. You're going to have to go to Barnes and Noble and beg them to do that. Do you think that is becoming more common because little bookstores are trying to compete with the big ones? So they don't want to take chances. Or do you think it's just sometimes the minority is speaking louder than, than the majority and scaring off authors from smaller stores? Well, there's a couple issues there. Um, one, it often boils down to money. You know, uh, the book business is not the most lucrative business in the world, and there's limited shelf and display space. Um, so we can only buy so many books. And if it's not selling, you know, that th there's an yeah. issue. Um, a lot of bookstores are going to look for returnability, and a lot of indie presses and self-published authors um, don't have the appropriate discount or returnability. So that that can become an issue because if it's sitting on the shelf for years, well, we need that shelf space for something else. Personally, I don't return books um, because I only stock books that I believe in and I know they will sell eventually when the right customer comes in. Um, that can be a balancing issue with the amount of space available. Um, but I know that when a lot of books are returned, they get destroyed and I don't like that. So I wanna buy books and shelf books um, that, that have a timelessness, that it's okay if it sits on that shelf for a while. I think one of the major issues um, that authors will have getting into bookstores, and I go through this every day, um, is their, their approach is wrong. Um, I can't tell you how many times I get an email, you know, this really happens every day. I get an email from a writer who has clearly not done their research about what kind of books I stock or that our specialty is in science fiction or that our events are science fiction oriented. Um, and they'll be pitching a certain kind of book that's not a good fit for the store. Um, it'll be a good fit in another store, I'm sure, but um, it's just not the type of selection that we carry. And they'll send me an Amazon link. Um, one, they're sending me to my competitor. Two, they're sending me to a retailer. Uh, I think a lot of authors miss the basics of business in that it's a retail wholesale relationship. I need a reasonable wholesale rate or I will lose money on the sale and I can't afford yeah. to lose money on the sale. Um, things that are relevant that I would need um, that I often don't get are an ISBN number. Is it a, what distributors is it available through? Um, I don't want an Amazon link. That's like going to the farmer's market and saying, hey, you guys should do your produce at Walmart. You know, it's, it's just not even, it's not even the same game. Um, so don't, don't send me to a competitor that wants me to go out of business. I'm not going to do business with them. Um, has the book been edited well? You know, I, uh, 
it's expensive to get editors to work on your book, but if you're, especially if you're self-publishing, the reason there was a stigma against self-publishing for a long time was because typically the books aren't edited well and therefore don't read well. So it's very important that that you know you have a team, at least beta readers and cop, a copy editor or something, to make sure there aren't blaring mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. Is the book well designed? Uh, does the book have a printed spine is super important. I, I get authors that come in and they demand display space. Well, that's the most valuable real estate in the store. Um, I, I have a reason for the things I put on display and I may very well, if I stock your book, put it on display. However, demanding that isn't going to work. And if the spine isn't printed, it's going to disappear into the shelves and there's nothing for the uh, for the customer, the reader to find, you know, some customers want to come in and dig through everything and discover most want to come in, see what's on display and buy that and leave. Um, so I think while it can be difficult and, you know, you writers need to understand, too, that bookstores are inundated with authors that want them to carry their books. You know, I I can't tell like every day I, I have people asking me. And sometimes it's a really great fit and sometimes it's not. And it's really nothing personal. It's just, hey, look around. And this happens, too, in the bookstore where an author will come in and say, I'd really like you to carry my book. But I see that they don't look around at my shelves at all. They express zero interest in what I'm doing. Um, Would you hand over your money to someone that doesn't care? You know, so it's definitely a mutual relationship. And then sometimes I'll take books that aren't selling and the writers will come in and be mad that the book hasn't mm-hmm. sold or hasn't captured the customer's attention. And I usually ask, you know, have you let anyone know that your book is available here? And they said, no, well, if I sell it myself, I make more money. And it's like, well, then why are you pursuing are you wasting sales? My if, if you let people know that your book is available at a bookstore, then people will want to come down and support us both because they want these community spaces um, and they want authors to thrive. I mean, readers really do care, but um, a lot of time it's just a matter of approach. And, um, you know, I, I was in a panel with a bunch of bookstore um Uh, booksellers the other day and you know one of the things that came up over and over again was a sending us to amazon and then b being rude and it's like you know no one wants to work with someone that's a jerk (laughs) let's let's be nice to each other this is a this is an exchange that can be mutually beneficial for all of us um and if i like an author's work and i like them yeah i'm gonna push that work yeah and and that's something that i think a, a lot of people really need to understand is that it a lot of our personal um, beliefs, our personal feelings for these books or for these authors make a major are a major part of our decision making on whether or not we do business with that author or not. And I I want to leave on a personal or excuse me on a more uh, I don't want to say positive because this whole thing's been positive anyways, but can you give us an example of one of your authors that have came in, they were not really well known. And then all of a sudden now they're doing a lot better because they were able to create this relationship with you. There's an author I work with named Jonathan Nevere, um, who is an excellent writer. He's an indie author. Um, he's been doing it himself. And he and, you know, I know a lot of authors and, and most of them are really wonderful writers and wonderful people. But, you know, this is something that I look for. He, he gets in touch with me because he read a review of a, a similar book than to his that I had written for a blog. 
and said, hey, you know, he contacted the guy that ran the blog and said, I'd love to put my book into this reviewer's hands. He seems to like this thing. It was a space opera book. Um, and I said, yeah, send one over. Let me check it out. You know, if I like the book, we'll do an event or something. I'd certainly stock it in the store. You know, he makes sure to sign me signed book plates. He sends me an arc when the new book comes out. Um, I see online that he's positive and and putting it out there, letting people know where to get his books. Um, and those are all great signs for me. I mean, number one, if I'm going to work with an author, um, especially if you hit me up on social media or something, I'm going to look at your feed. And if you've been spewing nothing but negativity, I don't really want anything to do with that. Um, if you've got a good attitude and you're positive, chances are you're going to be someone that's fun to work with. And um, let's be honest, work is work, but we can keep it fun, you know, and uh, especially in, in the genre fi fiction, you know, it's fun. Let's have fun with this. Um, we can be serious, but, you know, be nice. Um, so attitude is, is a huge thing. Um and then also seeing that you're out there doing the work for your own book. If it looks like you don't believe in your work, how, how can I believe in it? Um, will my customers believe in it? So a lot of that really boils down to attitude. Um, you know, are you getting, are you sending it out to reviewers? You know, are you, are you willing to spend the little bit of money that it takes um, to get that out there in the right hands? You know, have booktubers covered it? Have reviewers covered it? Are you sending out arcs of, to bookstores and magazines and, and whatnot? Are you, are you being on podcasts and getting interviewed? How proactive are you in the field? And, um, you know, those are the things that, that it takes to sell a book. And it's a lot of work, you know? I mean, it, it's tricky being a writer because, you know, you spend so much time writing and it's challenging um, finding a publisher or doing it yourself. And, and then you got to get into this whole other world of marketing and selling the book, which is, you know, a harder job than, than writing the book. And, and there's a lot of competition because, you know, hundreds of books coming out every day. Um, but if an author, you know, that being said, if I love someone's work, I'll take a chance on you, even if you're not doing that stuff. But those things are the difference between gathering interest or not. That's true. That is very true. So it's come to the point of the show where we start to learn a little bit more about you and the way that you write, the way you do uh, work as a bookstore owner and stuff of that nature. So let me start out with this. Because you're an author yourself, what is your writing kryptonite? Like, like what, what, uh, what breaks me? Where do, what, where do what, I have a hard time yes, with what it? What is your weakness? Um, I don't want to say I don't have any, but I, I look at writing a little different than a lot of other authors I know. I don't, I don't sit around waiting for the muse. I treat it like a job. Um, and I don't write every day. I'm a binge writer. <clears throat> so, you know, a couple times a year, I'll give myself a month or five weeks to write a book. And I sit down and I write every day and it comes first. Um, and then I won't write for three months, you know, I won't have time to write for three months. So that, um, that method works for me. It's a job. And the way I look at it is, look, if I could put 40 hours a week in for the man, I can put two hours a day in for myself, you know, and treat it like, like a job and get this work done. Um, the part of, I love first drafts. Now I know there's the different writers take this differently. Some love editing, some love first drafts. Uh, I'm a first draft guy. I love the idea stage when it comes to the second, third, fourth draft and all the rewrites. Um, 
those are a little more of a struggle because the imagination part's done and it's about the polishing, which is kind of ironic because I work as a freelance editor. I edit for magazines. I edit for the podcast, of course. Um, and I love editing for other people when it comes to editing for yourself. Oh, God, here's this stage. Um, one of my big problems that and I keep doing this to myself is I'll often write my books um, longhand. And I'm not a great typist. And then it comes to, oh, God, I got to type type these hundreds of pages, um, which ends up being a rewrite stage, you know, and, and a lot of corrections come in at that stage. Um, I don't particularly enjoy that. I wish I could afford a typist that could read my handwriting because uh, my handwriting's not particularly good either. Um, I think when I really when I struggle when I'm writing is I'll often, especially when I'm writing poetry, I'll often write to a particular theme. And sometimes I pick themes that are that are really challenging, like um, this is coming out in a few days. It's a new book of poetry called Proving Grounds about uh, nuclear weapons. And it took me about a year to write it. It was really uncomfortable going through the research for that book because there's this cognitive dissonance with these um, these weapons that can do so much damage and, and that we don't even talk about anymore. And no matter how much exposure I had to it, um, it was just so hard to wrap my head around. So those kind of things can be challenging them thematically. Um, that, that's where it becomes difficult. You know, it can be quite an emotional ride writing a book. Um, it's very satisfying, but sometimes you got to dig into the deep, dark stuff and get it out and be naked and honest about your work. You know, I think I think one of the qualities of all good writing fiction or otherwise is that the, the writers being honest, tr true to their voice, speaking to truth. Um, and that's not always the most comfortable place to be coming from. Um, but I think that's what, you know, why a lot of us gravitate towards writing books is we, we want to be able to do that. Um, but that, that can be the challenging part. But for the writing itself, um, it's a gig. It's, it's a compulsion that I have to do. Um, I think the hardest part maybe is when I'm not writing. Oh God, it's time to do taxes. I'd rather be working on my novel. Um, but you know, which one of us doesn't doesn't go through that? Um, so that's tricky. But I've I've scheduled my writing out where it 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 works for me. You know, usually every January I'll, I'll do it, or I'll start at the end of December. I get a brief little break from work, and I usually start writing a novella around that time. Um, and that is the first several hours of my day. I make a cup of coffee. I go straight to the notebook and start writing. And don't let, I, I love to write early in the morning. I'll get it before in the morning because the phone's not going to ring. I'm not going to check my email. Just not have any distractions whatsoever where I can really dive into the work. And that method has worked for me. Um, every Did I get it off? There you go. Oh, no. There, there, there you are. There you are. Okay. Um, is there a quote or anything that inspires you to continue writing? Um, there's, there's a few. Um, and these are both from music, you know, something Beethoven said, you know, um, a wrong note, a mistake is nothing. It's playing without conviction that's inexcusable. Or I came across this great Miles Davis one the other day. Is it okay if I cuss on the show? Sure. Um, this great Miles Davis quote said, uh, anyone can play. A note is only 20% of it. The attitude of the motherfucker playing it is 80%. And th those things, I, you know, I really get behind that because it's, you know, if you're, 
And we all, you know, have half finished work, you know, sometimes we start something and it's just not there. It's not going somewhere. So it's the, it's the conviction um, that goes behind it and, and your attitude. I mean, the, the, the most exciting thing about writing to me is the amount of freedom you have there. Um, you can literally in, in science fiction defy the laws of physics, you know, stuff we just couldn't do in the real world, uh, total freedom of the mind. Uh, and that's the really exciting thing to me, which, which why I gravitate towards writing at all. Um, you know, any, anything that we can't do in reality, we can do in our fiction if we're so inclined. And, and that's really fun, you know, that the freedom of the mind. And so those quotes from those musicians, you know, the, that conviction, you know, get in there and do your thing and do it without fear. There you go. It works. And it's very, very true. And I think it's something important for everybody to, to remember, you know, whether you've been writing for years, you're thinking about it, you've, you've been stuck in whatever it is. Like if, to me, at least, if you're stuck, you're stuck for a reason. You're forcing something, right? It's the same thing that composers say and artists and everything. You're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. So, like, just take a step back, believe in yourself, and do something a little crazy. Like, switch up how you're doing it. Go against the norms and and have fun with it because I think people turn writing into, at least for me, because I'm, I'm a chaos writer. If I treat it like that and I treat it like a job, I will not write up. I will be incapable. It's like, I do that like little kid tantrum where it's like, you can't play until you clean up your room. I'll lay on the middle of the floor and like not clean my room just for the principle of the fact. So the fact that some authors can do that and can sit down and have that discipline, you're way better than me. I can't do it. I disagree with you though. I'm not better than you. There's <laughs> There's a million ways to approach it, and I, I think that it's every author's right and duty to do it however works for them, however they mm -hmm. like it, to, to keep it interesting and fun and hopefully not be a grueling process. Um, there's no right or wrong way. You know, I work as an editor with a lot of different writers, and and these are questions that come up. You know, am I doing this right? And it's like, hey, there's, there's no rules except for the ones you set for yourself. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, if if writing in a regiment works for you, do that. If, if, you know, if you just want to write when the muse hits, do that. There, there's no, uh, there's no rules to this game in that way. You know, ideally we produce great works of art, um, how they're made shit. The reader's not going to care about that, that they don't, they don't care about your process. They want to, they want a wonderful story. That's true. Yes. That is true. Jean-Paul, it has been a great pleasure to talk with you. Please tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, if there's any new events coming up, the floor is yours, sir. Um, so spacecowboybooks.com is the central hub. You can find everything there. Our events are always listed, our podcast, um, all the other things we've got going on. Um, our podcast, Simultaneous Times, which comes out on the 15th of every month, usually two or three science fiction stories by contemporary writers um, in audio drama format. Um, that you can find anywhere that you find podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, etc. Wherever you like to get your podcast, you'll find us there. Um, we're also on social media. We have a, a Twitter account. We've got um, Instagram, Litzy, which is a fun one for readers. It's just it's like Instagram, but it's just people talking about books. Um, or come on down to the store and say hi if, if you find yourself in Joshua Tree. That's that's the greatest pleasure for us. Um, we love getting mail and emails and phone calls and everything, but we love to meet face-to-face -face and talk about books, see what you're into. I'm sure we'll learn something from each other. That's awesome. Thank you, Sean Paul. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Maccabee. Thank you, Chelsea. Wonderful to be here. 
All right. So, what do you think, Chels? I mean, we learned how to approach a bookstore not the, under no circumstances. Do you ever send a competitor oh link? Makes sense. Makes so much sense. But I think people try to, especially if you're self-published, you're not really paying attention to that. So just good for a reminder. We learned how to think outside the box with sci-fi. And I think that's important for all genres, you know, like not all horror is the Stephen King. Not all fantasy is J.R. Tolkien or George R. R. Merlin. Like you've got to take a chance on a bunch of things, which I think he said was really cool. The dramatic readings. I think that would be something I'm going to have to check those out because who doesn't want like almost like the, the radio show. Was that the world war of the world radio podcast? Yes, that would be that's something really cool. There, I think he gave a lot of really awesome information. Yeah, I do too, and I think it's something that um, a lot of people will actually learn from as well. So, if you mm-hmm. are an author yourself, if you are wanting to start up a bookstore or learn about distribution or the wholesale just industry itself, part of the publishing world, go to your bookstore, ask these questions. Go to Jean-Paul. He'll be happy to give you um, yeah. more, a little bit more information. And you may learn a lot of different things. Please don't send links to from like Walmart or something like that. That's just, come on, let's use common sense. Find your ISDN. It's on Amazon right under where your rankings are, guys. I know you're looking at your rankings. I do it. Everybody does. Send them your ISBN 13 number. They can find it. I promise. Do not send the Amazon link. Don't be, don't mean. be mean. Do not shove it in their face. And if, if you don't know what that is, do your research first before you even start to even think yeah. of being published or self-publishing. Yeah, guys. Yeah. Step, step one. one. Definitely step one. <laughs> yeah, you had the one I had. You know it. Anyways, we got to get out of here, folks. Thank you again for listening to us, and we'll go from there. Hey folks, that's a wrap for this episode of Beyond the Pen. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to stay connected and up to date with everything Beyond the Pen, follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Pen Pod and Instagram at Beyond the Pen Podcast. For even more content and exclusive access to our guest profiles and more, make sure to visit our website at beyondthepenpodcast.com. Don't forget to join our Facebook fan page to interact with our favorite authors and fellow fans of the show. And if you want to take your Beyond the Pen experience to the next level, check out our selection of video interviews on Traverse TV's video on demand and live stream. You can access these interviews through your Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Google Play, iTunes, or the Traverse TV app. So until next time, thanks again for tuning in and remember to keep writing inspiring and sharing as you go beyond the pen.